All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. Yeah, and welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry. I was a CW2 helicopter pilot in Vietnam and the United States Army Aviator. Welcome to our program. I think we've got a good one for you today. We're going to be talking with the CEO of the Yankee Air Museum, talking about the upcoming Thunder Over Michigan. And the second part of the program, we're going to be talking with Ian A. Um, O'Connor, and his book is titled The Pegasus, The Top Secret Kennedy Assassination File. You got to stick around for this one. This is really a great story. I think you're going to really enjoy the interview that we do that. Um, before we get into that, I want to make sure that we thank our sponsors. Today's program is brought to you by Legal Help for Veterans, specializing in veteran disability claims. Give them a call at Legal Help for Veterans, 800-693-4800, or go to their website, LegalHelpForVeterans.com. The National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC, is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned business. You want to do business with the federal government? You got to be certified as a true veteran-owned business, and this is what this organization does for you. For more information, you can go to their website, nvbdc.org, or give them a call at 888-237-8433. The Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, we think it's one of the best ones in the country, of course. Uh, for more information, go to va.gov slash Ann Arbor Healthcare. We also want to thank our, our local veterans organizations for their long-time uh, support of Veterans Radio. You've heard, this is our 20th year, folks, if you can believe that or not. But anyway, it's the uh, Irwin Press Corps and American Legion Post 46 and the Charles S. Kettles Vietnam Veterans of America Chapter 310, both here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. If you would like to support Veterans Radio, please just go to our website, veteransradio.org, and click on the Donate button. We are a, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, and all of your donations to Veterans Radio should be tax deductible. So we encourage you to do that. Just one quick note I wanted to mention. Yesterday here in the Ann Arbor area, there was a vet fest at Washtenaw Community College. It was a beautiful day, finally. And uh, it was a large turnout. Many service organizations were there. We were there. Um, I think that you, you should, uh, if you have a vet fest going on in your local area, I know there's one coming up next month. Um, up in uh, Fowlerville, Michigan, check them out. It's a great opportunity to talk to many, many veterans. I talked with so many of them yesterday. It was uh, so many story ideas came up. So I'm excited to uh, introduce you to some of the people that I met yesterday. So yeah, if you have a vet fest, check it out. I'd go to that one and uh, see what you can find out because they find out about claims. You can find out about caregivers. All kinds of things. It's just really helpful, I think, for veterans in the veteran community and just for everybody to come out and see how the support that veterans have today. Speaking of support for veterans and speaking of really exciting times, joining me on the line right now is Kevin Walsh. And Kevin is the president and CEO of the Yankee Air Museum. Uh, for those of you that are here in Southeast Michigan, it's a, a great attraction. It's a just a, a great attraction. It's the only way I can describe it. Airplanes everywhere. It's just cool. 
But they have a big event coming up. This is their big fundraiser coming up, Thunder Over Michigan. So, Kevin, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you, Dale. Always uh, always a pleasure to be here. Uh, really honored to be on the program. And thank you uh, for your service to our country. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure, and it was an honor. I, I, you know, I, people, you know, question, well, you know, people say, thank you for your service. How sincere are they? Um, I always like it. It's really, you know, it kind of makes you feel good. Been a long well, time. It, now. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's what our organization does, and 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 obviously we have a lot in, wrapped up in our mission. But it is uh, to honor and and to acknowledge those that have have served our country and and been part of our national accomplishments. Uh, you know, through um, aeronautical development, uh, conflicts around the world. Um, it is uh, what we do each and every day, and we're so proud of it. Well, you, you have every right to be. And for those of you, uh, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about the Yankee Air Museum, for those that are not familiar with it, which I can't imagine, but not everybody lives in southeast Michigan. So can you tell us a little bit about the Yankee Air Museum and what what you've got out there? Yeah, absolutely. It's a museum that's actually been around for uh, 42 years now uh, in southeast Michigan, a, a, a real gem. Um, yeah, we, we think so. Um, but, you know, we focus on, uh, you know, the museum. Uh, number one is uh, obviously telling the story of uh, aeronautical history um, through uh, you know, First World War up to modern day uh, and encompassing all those national accomplishments and those that were part of the, the those stories, the human interest. Um, we spend a lot of time with special events at the museum. Uh, all the events can be seen at yankeeairmuseum.org. And, of course, the, the, really, the really unique thing that sets us apart from so many other museums is that you can actually get rides on vintage airplanes, on four different vintage airplanes at this point in time, uh, two different World War II bombers, a World War II transport, and a Vietnam-era helicopter. Um, so not only can you... Come and learn and experience and immerse yourself in history and everything that's amazing about aviation, but also take that visceral experience and go fly in one of these incredible uh, restored rare aircraft. Well, I have to tell you, I've had the privilege of, of flying on a couple of those, and it, it's it's exhilarating, it's exciting, and it brings back a lot of memories, really mm-hmm. good memories, I think. Yeah, it, and, and for those uh, for those that uh, obviously um, you know had that experience during you know some type of conflict in, in our in our world, um, but for those that weren't engaged, that maybe didn't serve our nation, it gives an, an entirely different appreciation when you're rolling down a runway and maybe you didn't serve in World War II on a B twenty five, but the visceral experience of those engines, the smell, the sound, the uh, the vibrations, and, and just being able to step back in time and not look at it through a video and not look at it through some type of simulation. It, it is the real thing. You're flying in something that was there, that was in combat, uh, survives today, is maintained today by so many of our veteran volunteers, 60, 65% of our, our volunteers are, are veterans. Um, it's it's really stepping into a completely different experience than you would normally get at a traditional museum. 
Well, I would certainly encourage people to go out to the Yankee Air Museum. They've got a great static display of all wide variety of different types of aircraft. Aircraft. They've got simulators um, that you can get in and, you know, see if you can get off the ground and not crash and so forth. And uh, I found that to be really a lot of fun. I kind of lost my touch a little bit there. But uh, the main reason I wanted Kevin to join us today is to talk about your fundraiser coming up in August, and that is Thunder Over Michigan. So what have we got going this year? Well, it's like any other year. Um, it is a marquee event, uh, the, the, the largest annual pure air show in, in, um, in Michigan, um, and obviously has a, a world renowned presence. Uh, this is our 25th anniversary show. So if you can believe it, Dale, we've been around for 25 years doing this event every single year. And, uh, this year we've got an incredible lineup, uh, like usual. We've been working, uh, well over a year, about a year and a half now on this show. We're, we're already working on the next year's show during the show, uh, that we're producing. Um, but, uh, this is just going to be a fantastic lineup headed by the F-22 Raptor demonstration team. If you have not experienced the Raptor, uh, demo, um, I'll tell you, we talk about shaking the earth uh, and, and having a, a visceral experience just watching a jet. Incredible performance by a fifth-generation fighter that um, it, it's just it's an eye-watering performance. But for those that love the vintage aircraft and what our event was founded on, uh, one of the only two flying B-29 super fortresses in the world, the, uh, the only flying B-24 at this point in time, um, we're celebrating the 357th fighter group from World War II and, and the, the P-51 Mustang. Um, we have AC-135 demo team coming from uh, Fairchild Air Force Base, uh, you know, out on, on the on the West Coast at a, at a Washington State. Um, we even have a KC-135 coming from the Royal Air Force in Melbourne Hall uh, coming over uh, U.S. Uh, Air Force uh, KC-135 uh, that's stationed overseas, uh, coming home, bringing home uh, airmen and maintainers uh, uh, to to come home to an air show. Uh, many of the crews on board the airplane are from Michigan, um, wow. and, and actually many of the staff. Uh, there on the weekend, uh, our Michigan folks coming home. Well, it's it's a great show, and the, the show is on August 12th and 13th, and it runs all day, correct? Yeah, correct. And there's two different shows each day, so it's actually four air shows over the two-day um, two weekend. It's a format that's uh, a change. Uh, for the last couple of years, we've done it, and our crowds love it. It's a little bit shorter time on site. Um, but it's so convenient. You drive your car right onto the airfield. You park your car right on the airfield, and then you watch uh, the air show um, from the comfort, uh, uh, you know, uh, of the space car. Um, but before the air show starts, you go in the static display area. You you go go to the kids zone. You go take a helicopter ride. You go for a monster truck ride. You enjoy the food trucks. You meet the pilots and maintainers of the static display aircraft. Uh, and then also get to meet some of the, the folks that will be flying in the show uh, later in the uh, uh, the show schedule. Wow. So where, where do we go to, to purchase tickets for this? I know we've, you've got um, sort of a discount going on right now. Yep, absolutely. So yankeeairmuseum.org. 
uh, to purchase tickets for the air show or anything Yankee Air Museum. If you want to fly on our vintage airplanes, visit our museum, buy tickets in advance, cheaper, yankeeairmuseum.org, and click on uh, the Thunder Over Michigan Air Show. And uh, now the, the one thing I want to share with your listeners, Dale, is that uh, the last couple of years we have sold out. We have a limited number of spaces. Um, we do not overpack the airport. We do not cause traffic problems. We don't do any of that stuff because we want people to have an incredibly high-quality experience. So if you're thinking about going on August 12th and 13th, buy your tickets today because some of the shows are starting to reach capacity already. Oh, okay. I guess I better get my ticket real fast <laughs> <laughs> so we can go, go check this out. This is, we were talking with uh, Kevin Walsh from the uh, Yankee Air Museum. That's yankeeairmuseum.org about Thunder Over Michigan. I really encourage you folks to get out there and, you know, check this thing out. It's August 12th and 13th. Um, you can find all the information you need to know about the air show at their website, the yankeeairmuseum.org, or even just typing in Thunder over Michigan, everything pops up. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my computer screen, and there, there's all kinds of aircraft everywhere. For all of you aircraft fanatics out there, this is the place to be. And you can, you can touch aircraft, you can watch aircraft, you can get in there with some of them. Uh, it's it's a great adventure. And you bring your kids because they'll be fascinating. They'll get those new pilots out there. Everybody's complaining about not enough pilots. This is a way to motivate them. So, Kevin, thank you very much for being on Veterans Radio, and uh, let us know how things are going up until August. All right. Sounds good, Dale. Thank you. And, again, always a privilege to be on with you. Thank you very much. All right. That's cool, isn't it? I encourage you all to get out there. The Thunder Over Michigan, August 12th and 13th. It's a it's a great opportunity to, as I mentioned, to see all these aircraft, to fly on Hueys. For those of you that are part of my generation, you know, you've always heard the wop wop whopping thing of of a Huey going over uh, overhead. Now it's your opportunity to take a ride, or to take your grandkids on a ride, or you know, whoever it is that you want to get onto a Huey. It's really fun. It's only about fifteen uh, minutes, but you get to they they take you up and you get to see all the area all around Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor. It's really neat. I really like it when they do that. I live close enough sometimes where I can hear them go over uh, go overhead. Uh, of my house so uh yeah do it it's a great time for you to do that we are not going to be taking a break i'm going to go into our uh interview uh, in just a second here uh with ian a o'connor and i got to make sure that the a is in there because even when i was starting to look for more information about uh ian i came up with a sports writer in new york and i'm going wait a minute it's, you know, this is not right. I didn't know he wrote for the New York Post. But uh, we're going to uh, talk with uh, Ian here in just a second. But I found this little, I think it was a little promo for the book um, online uh, earlier this morning. So I'm going to play this to set the stage. Remember, the book we're going to be talking about is titled The Pegasus Directive, the top secret Kennedy assassination file. Don't tell anybody. Here we go. Where did it go? It's missing. Oh, okay. That's my fault, I guess. Um, anyway, so here we go. <laughs> Ian A. O'Connor, welcome to Veterans Radio. Dale, am I talking to you? You are talking to me directly, yes. <laughs> Good afternoon, and thank you for having me on. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really upset. I'm going to go back and try and edit that thing back into the program. I, I took that clip off of an interview that you did early this year, and it's kind of this scary music thing, and there's a, kind of a guy with a Russian accent saying, you know, yeah, it's, how nice. It's, yeah, what you're watching is like a 20-second promo for uh, for Hollywood. We've uh, we've sent all the information out to various producers in Hollywood, hoping that uh, somebody will say, you know what, this is right up our alley. So, I yeah, think it, it is right it, up it, your it, alley. It, it, and, you know, before, before we get talking about the book, which is, it's a little scary, really, when we, when, you know, when we get to talk about it a little bit. Um, Ian, tell me about you, a little bit more about yourself. Uh, what was your military background? Well, my military background, uh, as you probably know, was the Air Force. Uh, I uh, graduated college in, in 64. Uh, I was commissioned in the Air Force in uh early 66. I started out in flight school, but got uh, scarlet fever. So that put me into a different line of work, which ended up being uh, in uh, the reconnaissance area. And uh, I spent five years, six years almost on active duty at the end of uh, the Vietnam War from 65 to 70. Um, Fortunate enough, somebody taught me into staying in the reserves. And, uh, of course, that led to a, uh, a wonderful career over 26, 27, 28 years. And uh, called back to active duty for the uh, Gulf War and the only reserve officer given command of an active duty squadron in a fighter wing. So um, I had a wonderful oh. career, both civilian and military. Ended up as a full colonel and uh, couldn't have asked for anything better. No, it sounds like it. It's it's. Uh, I wish somebody had convinced me to go into the Guard or Reserves when I got out of the service. I would have loved to have kept flying. I just didn't. I was so anxious to get out. I didn't even think about it. Well, I noticed that uh, <laughs> that you were a Huey pilot. I was. I was. And, it was. It was well, pretty. Ex- what, that, that 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 was a tough tough job in Vietnam. Being a being in the uh, Army military. I mean, being in the Army Aviation Corps, it, uh, it was a very demanding and uh, very dangerous job. So kudos to you. Well, thank you very much. And I'm lucky I came back. <laughs> I didn't realize how dangerous it was while I was there. Uh, uh, that's you. Only, <laughs> yeah, it's only after reading all these books by you, you, you great authors that re- made me realize, what was I thinking? How did I get myself involved in all this situation? But you have you have been writing for a number of years now, and uh, you know the the Pegasus is not just your first novel. Um, could you tell us a little bit about some of the other books that you have written? Uh, I know that you're a member of the Military Writers Society, and uh, which is a great group of, of of wonderful authors, and I know how much they help each other out. And I notice you are too. I am. I am an honorary lifetime member. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, a little bit about my writing career. The first book I had published was The Twilight of the Day. And basically that story was at the end of the Vietnam War, 10 known prisoners of war in Hanoi Hilton were never repatriated. And in fact, as you get into the book, you find that the North Vietnamese sold them to Gaddafi just before the armistice was signed in Paris in January 1973, Gaddafi had culled the prisoners of war and had found that there were 10 
nuclear physicists among the X number of pilots, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, and uh, sold uh, the North Vietnamese sold these 10 guys to, uh, to Colonel Gaddafi to help him produce an atomic weapon. And that's basically the story of uh, the twilight of the day. In fact, when it was published, I had friends in the Pentagon at the time that contacted me and said, are you spilling top secret information that nobody should be talking about? And I had to convince them that, no, this was strictly a made-up story from beginning to end by me, even though I wove probably 90 95% facts using the 5% fiction with these 10 prisons of war to create a pretty compelling story. Well, I, you know, I, I think that's what you've done also with, with this book, The Pegasus Directive, is you, you've wound so many facts into it that I was, when I was reading it, I'm going, oh, my God, this is, can this be true? It's it, it probably, well, no, yes, it is. No, it's not. You know, having this back and forth argument with myself. But you, you, are you telling me you've read the book? Of course. Well, that is absolutely wonderful. So <laughs> I, I, I'd I did like to... what I was supposed to do. I fooled you into saying, well, is this true? Is this not true? That you get caught up in, in the facts and then the 5% fiction is like, well, wait a minute. I don't know where the truth ends or the truth begins. That's what I wanted to accomplish, So. You. Well, you, well, you you did a great job of accomplishing that with me. Um, you know, I'm. I mean, I was I was in high school, of course, when when Kennedy was was assassinated, and you know, we got all the stories, and you know, we know who did it, and blah blah blah, and and and, and no, it, it didn't make any sense at the time. And then you know, you kind of tuck it away because you have to get you know get on with your life a little bit as in going to Vietnam and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, you come back and the story is, you know, nobody's really talking about it anymore. They just keep coming up with these different conspiracy theories about, you know, who did it and why they did it and so forth. So let's start getting into the story. All right. We, we know that you take facts and wrap it around fiction, or is it, do you take fiction and wrap it around facts? I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you make your choice. I don't know the answer necessarily <laughs> to that either. No, I do start with facts. So if I know okay. what my fact trade is from beginning to end, my story sort of evolves. But I'll spend probably two years when I'm writing a novel. I'll spend two years doing my research. And it's only after I've done the research to thoroughly get involved in the facts versus the fiction and entwine both that I say, okay, I'm ready now to write the story. To me, it makes it a lot easier to do it that way. It, and hopefully it works. Well, I, <laughs> as one reader would, would say, I, I'm, I was in, I was into it when I started reading it. It was one of those things I couldn't put down. Uh, actually I read it online, so it wasn't, <laughs> I could put it down, but it was, um, tell me about Pegasus. And, and uh, how his role in this in this whole thing? Because you've written about this particular character before. I have Pegasus. You were he was introduced with the uh, the story on the pilots in the twilight of the day. That's where Pegasus, you know, was introduced to to the reader, um, and then it just fit perfectly. 
to uh, to reintroduce him into this story. But in fact, I originally wrote this story in 1972 to 1974. That's a long time ago. Really? Really. Oh, uh, I sent, okay. I, I sent the story to the biggest agency in New York at the time. They held on to it for like six or seven months. And then wrote back and said, as much as we like the story, um, some of the uh, publishing houses that we sort of bounced it off said, this is too political. And if you remember what was happening at the time, it's now 1974. Nixon is in the middle of uh, the Watergate scandal. And uh, the publishing houses said, you know what? This is a hot potato of a story. All of the principles are still alive. Uh, we just don't want to touch it at this time. So I had to move on with my life, move on with other stories. And uh, I would approach it every once in a while, make some changes, tweak it. The biggest tweak of all was my writing in 1974 was appalling compared to what it is today. So I took the time to really learn my craft and hopefully uh, you can read that uh, in, in this particular novel that, um, yeah, I've matured in my writing and storytelling. Well, I, 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 you know, in reading your biography, I, you know, I saw that you went back to school and you took writing classes and, you know, and all these different things to improve in your writing skills. And, and, and they have obviously been that We're We're talking with uh, Ian A. <laughs> O'Connor, uh, who is the author of a book, the book titled The Pegasus Directive, the top secret Kennedy assassination file. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, I have so many questions about what I want to know, you know, where this well, came let's from. Well, let see if I can answer a few of them. Okay. Now, well, I, would, all right, I would start right, off by the caveat. Um, <laughs> I think I presented a unique perspective of what really happened in Dallas that day. But not only that, what the impact was on world events for the several years following it, it was only a springboard for what the people that pulled the trigger, if you will, what they were wanting to accomplish on the world right. stage. Yeah. And- I, I, yeah, I want to get into that. The, 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 the premise of the story is that uh, Pegasus and his his cohort, where did, I forgot his name off the top of my head, um, Anyhow, they, they, right. And they are uh, offered, anyway, no, correct me because I, I get excited when I talk about these things. Um, When uh, they were offered uh, a a Russian KGB uh, general was wanted to defect and he thought that he he had uh, a secret movie that he felt that he wanted to get out to Pegasus and, you know, to to get the truth out about the assassination of of, uh, President Kennedy. And it it, kind of goes from there. It's that, you know, the guy, the the general went to the Canadian embassy in Italy and he said he wanted to defect to America. See, I did read it. Uh, (laughs) He wanted to defect to to America, but, you know, I had to do it a certain secret way. And he only wanted to talk to Pegasus. Is that about right? That's exactly right. Yep. Okay, and he had this film, which is the real thing in this whole book. And the that film supposes. Go ahead. I was going to say that particular piece of film 
as you know from reading the story, was uh, originally shot and then totally reconstructed to serve a purpose to put the burden, the emphasis on who really was behind the Kennedy assassination. They were able to throw it away from the Russians and found a scapegoat in another country. And uh, their biggest problem was having to convince Lyndon Johnson at the time that this is what had happened. And indeed, Lyndon Johnson felt a blind thinker for hearing what had supposedly happened. Well, the um, the Russians in this case were trying to convince uh, Johnson that the that the Chinese were behind it, isn't that exactly? Exactly, and we don't want to give too much away to the reason. No, I don't want to give the whole story yet. away, but it, it, it's, I'm not saying we are. But <laughs> yeah, as you know, then it's a theory that's never been presented anywhere before. We see that uh, different authors have said, well. The CIA was behind it. The FBI was behind it. The Italian mob was behind it. Cuba was behind the assassination. Nobody ever thought that, wait a minute, these were all red herrings. Look to who the true culprits were, who had the motive to do what happened that day in Dallas. And it was really none of the above except the way I presented the story. Right. It, 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 and it, it truly makes sense uh... The, the the premise that you put out there, you know, it's 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 almost too logical. It, 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 I mean, it does make sense. I mean, you know, we have Oswald. You know, I mean, we knew from the Warren report that this thing was this this isn't necessarily the way that it happened. It was it came out too fast and it was too cut and dried. You know, there, there was so much there was so much other so many other things that were going on in the world at the time that all kind of played into this and. And part of it, when I, I listened to another interview that you talked about, is that, you know, Kennedy was, you know, was the darling president of the world at the time and everybody loved him, but he wasn't really that effective. And as you mentioned, he had in the, earlier in that in 63, uh, he had met with Khrushchev and had gotten kind of a, a lesson taught to him, didn't he? Oh, he sure was. The old fox took on the kid in Vienna and, uh, he soundly beat Kennedy in uh, the various conferences that they had, and uh, and and the Russians walked away a winner in Vienna. Uh, Kennedy Kennedy was put back on his heels at that particular time. Well, and and the idea there is that we're talking about Khrushchev now, right? He's, exactly. he's still in power. Peter Khrushchev was still the. Uh, the secretary general of the party in Russia. He was the top dog. Right. And so I, and it's, <laughs> it sounded a little bit like an ego thing. For Kennedy or for Khrushchev? No, for Khrushchev that, you know, the Kennedy was getting all the, all the publicity and, you know, and here's the guy, you know, Hey, I'm the one that, you know, doing really good things here. Well, depending on well, where you are in the world at the time. In, in a lot of respects, Khrushchev was coming off a high. He had uh, downed Francis Gary Powers in the uh, U-2 incident. He had gone to the United Nations and, with uh, righteous anger, had pounded his shoe on the table saying that these Americans are encroaching willy-nilly into our airspace and they're trying to provoke a war. And 
he had people listening to him, and Kennedy was not on any solid ground when he met with uh, with Khrushchev that uh, that early part of 1963 in uh, Indiana. Well, we, I want to take a quick break here, and we're gonna we we play a Medal of Honor segment each week, and I want to do that right now. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the. The world situation at the time, because I'm starting to see some parallels to, to things that have occurred today, um, especially with the capability of of um, editing things. Let's talk about that. All right. That, so we'll, will I be able to listen as you're continuing with your show? Oh, yeah. You'll be oh, able to hear the whole thing. You're not, we're oh, not sending you away oh, anyway. Oh. We're talking We're talking with Ian A. O'Connor. His newest book that just came out in June is The Pegasus uh, director of the top secret Kennedy assassination file. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to Veterans Radio. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the armed forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Hospital Corpsman Edward Benfold sacrificed himself to save two of his comrades. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. When his company was subjected to heavy artillery and mortar barrages, followed by a determined assault during the hours of darkness by North Korean forces, estimated at battalion strength, Benfold moved from position to position in the face of intense hostile fire, treating the wounded and lending words of encouragement. Leaving the protection of his sheltered position to treat the wounded, he moved forward to an exposed ridgeline where he observed two Marines in a large crater. As he approached the two men to determine their condition, an enemy soldier threw two grenades into the crater while two other enemy charged the position. Picking up a grenade in each hand, Benfold leaped out of the crater and hurled himself against the onrushing hostile soldiers, pushing the grenades against their chest and killing both the attackers. Mortally wounded while carrying out this heroic act, Benfold, by his great personal valor and resolute spirit of self-sacrifice in the face of almost certain death, was directly responsible for saving the lives of two of his comrades. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you were exposed to toxic substances in the military, a new law called the PACT Act may make you eligible for extra benefits and care. The PACT Act benefits veterans of the Vietnam, Gulf War, and post-9-11 eras. Learn more at va.gov pact or call 1-800-MY-VA-411. We are back here on Veterans Radio, and we're talking with Ian A. O'Connor. He is the author of a book titled The Pegasus Directive, The Top Secret Kennedy Assassination File. And, um, Ian, this is really, this book is kind of a history lesson for many people, because, you know, who are the villains in this story? Well, you know, that that's a very interesting case. Different people, different countries look towards different other countries as who the villain is. For example, who does China think the villain is? China most definitely thinks the villain is the United States of America. And, um, 
everything that was happening in Vietnam on its borders for the several years after the Kennedy assassination, it would certainly lead the Chinese to believe that we had an ulterior motive to uh, to get into that part of the world. So, yeah, they uh, they were not the superpower that they are today, and as well as having to worry about what's happening on their southern flank with the Americans pouring 500,000 troops into Vietnam, the Russians also had placed almost 100 divisions on the Chinese border with Russia, and uh, they felt that they were caught in a vice that America and Russia was preparing to annihilate them and and literally get rid of Mao Zedong and the communists in China. They they had their backs against the wall as far as they were concerned. There were some very interesting um, conversations that you came up with or invented um, between, you know, Mao Zedong and Cho Enlai and all these, you know, other names that we, that I, you know, we can remember for those of us that were around at the time. And you've also got, you know, the, the, the Khrushchev's and the, the Brezhnev's and the Dobrian and, and so forth. And, and your turns out to be kind of a fictitious uh, major general, uh, Zakharov, um, it's just a, it's the way you wish history would had been taught to you. You know, what did these people really say? And then what was the, what was the reaction going on in China to what Russia was doing, to what we were doing? And, you know, who was really kind of, you know, being the Svengali over the top of the whole thing. That's, that's what I found so, so interesting with your story. Well, there are real characters introduced, as you well know. Um, what role did uh, the president of France, Charles de Gaulle, play in mm-hmm. getting Nixon to agree to a possible trip and a meeting finally with the Chairman Mao? Um, the American author, Edgar Snow, is a real person, and... Uh, he was the only Westerner that Mao Zedong had had actually visited with, met with, and uh, trusted. And he, too, he was used by Mao Zedong as a conduit into the Nixon White House to suggest, hey, uh, the chairman would be willing to, uh, to have a meeting with, uh, with President Nixon. And as we know, that changed the course of history. It was. Is, is, is that part true? I'm, I keep saying oh, that's I don't absolutely like to say true. it's true or not. Was de Gaulle really involved? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, Nixon met with uh, Charles de Gaulle in uh, France just a few months before uh, Charles de Gaulle died. And uh, later, Charles de Gaulle, of course, remembered that he pretty he had a pretty good working relationship with Nixon. This was before Nixon was president, but uh, mm-hmm. he he had a uh, he had an understanding of Nixon, and he agreed a lot with his foreign policy. And of course, once Nixon came into the White House, um, he was used finally as a conduit to uh, to suggest to uh, to President Nixon that uh, maybe it was time to make overtures to the Chinese. So between the president of France. And the American author, Edgar Snow, uh, wheels started to turn. Henry Kissinger went on his secret trip into uh, 
into China to pave the way, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. It, it really is. It, it really is. Um, so, so what, what what is your real take on the assassination of, of Kennedy? I mean, I'm, you can you know you you propose a couple of things in in the book, um, and obviously I think you must must think about that. What do you think really happened? Well, I really don't believe anything that the Warren Commission put out. I mean, it was a uh, a commission of convenience. Of course, um, Lee Harvey Oswald was there. And, of course, he probably did take it a, a shot at the president. And he probably also uh, hit the president with one of his shots. But he was not the assassin. And I wrote this original story, if you remember, I said between yeah. 1972 and 1974. It pretty well follows what I kind of put together knowing world history. Remember, I had a background in political science and a degree in political science and worked in, in uh, intelligence. And uh, this was all fresh in my mind back then. So to be able to weave a story with all of these world leaders and events at the time, I've said to people, you know, since then, if I had to have sat down last year, let's say, to start trying to put this story together, it wouldn't have worked because I would not have remembered all of these events that took place, real events that took place in the years leading up to and following the assassination. I, I just, I would have been overwhelmed trying to create a story. So in kind of a way, it was nice that I had to wait 60 years <laughs> after the uh, event to be able to produce a book for the 60th anniversary that people will read and hopefully say, you know what? This is probably closer to the proof than anything we've heard to date. Well, we've all heard about, you know, the different theories that are out there. You know, you in, in your book, you talk about the grassy knoll and, um, you know, the role that Oswald supposedly had in it, but he really didn't know what he was doing, it sounded like. And uh, without mentioning names, you you dropped in. It sounded like a Jack Ruby type character, and and some other folks that that are also involved with the with the whole idea of it. And Johnson is just uh, I, I can't imagine. You know, he he's got to be just taken aback by this whole thing. Absolutely, he was. Absolutely, if you remember. The uh, Russian had told him that uh, Dobrynin, the the ambassador to the United States, had had a meeting just days before the assassination and told President Johnson, hey, the Chinese are up to something. We don't know what. And Johnson said, you shouldn't be talking to me about this. You should be talking to the president about it. He said, we've already notified the president that he needs to be careful on his upcoming trip to Asia. We have get, we're getting information that the Chinese are up to no good. And, of course, Bobby Kennedy, in my story, says mm-hmm. to Debrinian, if you start peddling this to the press, you're going to be considered persona non grata, and we're going to get rid of you as the ambassador. So Johnson was totally hoodwinked in my story. As yeah, to in your story. It's it's a it's a, it's a great story, folks. And again, I'm I'm talking with uh, Ian A. O'Connor. The, the The book is titled "The Pegasus Directive: This Top Secret Kennedy Assassination File." 
it's um I really would wish we could <laughs> tell everybody what's going on in the story, but I want to encourage them to, to uh, you know, to buy the book. Uh, it, it's uh, really helpful. You mentioned um, in in a, another interview, I saw that that our our movie companies interested in this. That's what we're in the process of finding out. Um, I have hired a publicity firm to help me in Los Angeles, and they have been a big help in getting the information out. But part of it also is that they do have an avenue to uh, some of the production companies in in Hollywood. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. with the writer's strike and the actor's strike, this probably is as good a time as would ever come to be able to have new material from a relatively unknown source, me, that, uh, that they would consider looking at. So my fingers are crossed. You know, it only takes one to say, let's pursue this. And yeah, yeah, let's pursue this. You, you know, the last one was the uh, Oliver Stone movie, which was, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Garrison. Um, right. Which I thought was a really a little strange for the time when I, when I saw it. Um, I said, there's got to be more to this. I think Garrison was out for his own glory. Oh, there. of course he was. Oh, absolutely he was. But you know what? Oliver Stone put together a pretty darn good story. Yeah, he did. You know, the film <laughs> the film was riveting, and uh, he he was able to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. So, my hats off to uh, to the production company there, and Kevin Costner did a did a wonderful job. Well, you know, if if you were, um, what are you coming up with next? I mean, this is this 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 is a real. Page Turner book, folks. I'm really, again, I encourage you to go out and get this, the Pegasus Directive. It's available now at all the places, you know, the Amazons, Barnes and Noble, and so forth. And uh, is there an audio book of it yet? No, not yet. Not yet. It's something that we're looking at, and uh, it's certainly under consideration. But uh, as you know, the uh, the print copies just came out at the end of June. And right. uh, and that's kind of where all our thrust has been on on the marketing end. Well, I, again, of course, I encourage you. So, so what's what's next for uh, Ian A. O'Connor in, the, well, in his writing career? I'm just about finished with a new novel with Justin Scott, who is in the uh, Pegasus file. He is kind of second in command, if you will, behind Pegasus. And uh, Justin Scott, there's two other novels out there with Justin Scott in it. And this third novel is entitled The Masada Option. And uh, if you know a little bit about the history of the the Jewish people, um, in 73 AD, 70 warriors, if you will, held the fortress on the hill at Masada against three Russian legions, they ended up all being killed, but and they lost the battle. But for the very fact that they had taken on the most powerful army in the world and had really harried the uh, the Romans for a period of time, they've gone down in history. The uh, defenders of the fort at Masada, and uh, this book is basically a story of. Israel today, where they are being 
basically abandoned by all of the Western powers, including the United States. And these particular men in the military, the uh, Israeli naval officers, they undertake something that was thought to be impossible. They successfully hijack a British Trident submarine armed with enough firepower to destroy the world. Their mission was, before Israel can be destroyed by its enemies, they are going to preemptively strike at the enemies of Israel. And no matter what happens, they're going to have a nuclear holocaust descend upon the world, knowing even that Israel might well be destroyed. But their thought was, better to die on your feet than live a life in slavery. And uh, that is basically the story that's part of the Masada option. Needless to say, the uh, government of Israel calls in Justin Scott, who had been successful in other international incidents working against the bad guys, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how Justin Scott comes to help thwart what... Well, it, it, I... I... I just really enjoy your, 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 this book particularly, of course, and now I have to read the rest of them, um, because you've got me hooked because they're all wrapped around, you know, true stories. That's, that's, that's what a good, good author does. I would suggest that the story you will really enjoy is the twilight <laughs> of the day. Um, as you, as you mentioned in, in your biography of me on your website, uh, copies were, and are still active in the uh, both the academies, the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. But uh, that particular book has, has lasted 20 years in the, in the Academy Library, and it was originally suggested as reading for incoming freshmen in both academies that this is something you guys need to really look at, even though it's fiction. It's, uh, it tells the story of what life was like as a POW in North Vietnam and uh, the terrible tribulations and trials these men underwent. And then to think they were going to be set free only to find themselves prisoners of Gaddafi in Libya. A chilling story. I think well, it's one you would we'll truly get, enjoy. Well, we're going to have to have you back on that one. Then I'm, I'm going to, as soon as I'm down here, I'm on Amazon and come, getting it to, to, uh, to read. Uh, we want to thank Ian A. O'Connor. The book that we talked about today is the Pegasus Directive, uh, the top secret Kennedy assassination file. I encourage people of all ages to read this. I mean, there's, you know, many of us, you know, the boomers out there, uh, we lived through this whole thing. And this kind of gives it, uh, a, you know, new direction, some new uh, highlights of what may have occurred. And uh, most of it makes a lot of sense to me. So, uh, Ian, I want to thank you so much for being on our program. Dale, and likewise, my thanks to you and, and a big thanks for the work you've been doing for the last 20 years. I mean, I'm impressed. Well, thank you very much. It has been an honor and it's been a it's been a real adventure, <laughs> and we've we've just had a great time. It, there are well, so many wonderful I, people out there that tell the stories of America's veterans and their, and their military, and and you are one of them. And thank you for your service, and thank what you for what you're continuing to do today. 
Thank you, Dale. And I look forward to the possibility of meeting with you again. There we go. All right. Thank you, Thank you very much. Ian A. O'Connor, author, military veteran, colonel in the Air Force. Read his books. I encourage you to do that. All right. We're coming up toward the end of the program. Um, next week is our benefits show. Uh, Jim Falzon and Legal Help for Veterans uh, will be hosting that one. And, I, you know, make sure you get your questions in as soon as you can. The um, My email is dale at veteransradio.org because we've become a nonprofit now. So we're kind of changing everything over to the .org. So send those in to me. We'll get those to Carol Ann and uh, we'll make sure we can answer your questions next week. We're going out today on a kind of a little different tune. Um, you know, I've been playing God Bless America all over the place. Well, today we're going out with over uh, America the Beautiful. I want people, to, I want you all to kind of sit back and listen to this music and think about the advantages that we have in living in this wonderful country with all the conflicts and everything else that's going on. It's still a good place to be and we can make it even better. So I encourage you to listen to the song, go to our website, let us know what you think, uh, what stories we need to cover, what you want to hear. All right. So until next time, this is Dale Throneberry for Veterans Radio, and we're just about ready to say you are dismissed. Yes, he did. Heavy brotherhood.
Everybody.